0: What's up, everyone, and welcome into the Buffalo Sports Collective. It is Friday, January 27th, 2023. As always, I am PK alongside my co-host, Phil. Phil, it's time to close down the 2022 Buffalo Bills season. The last time we talked about them was right after the defeat from the Cincinnati Bengals. I think we have both put our emotions aside and are ready to close out the season with a bang because... I mean, as much as it does hurt that their season ended much earlier than I think we all anticipated, it was still a mildly successful regular season when you lost three games by a combined eight points, and uh, you, you made it to the second round of the playoffs once again. Not acceptable, expecting more, but I mean, considering everything that they went through this year, I think expecting them to go on some giant run thinking back and looking at it as a broad scheme of things it was kind of hard to expect
1: and we just have to really remember the dark days you know just uh take a minute to remember the 17 years that you didn't make playoffs and uh just kind of humble yourselves for for a brief moment that your team did at least go 13 and 3 in the playoffs so in the or in the uh regular season so in the very long regular season you have to watch. You literally only had to watch them lose three times and win thirteen. So you had thirteen moments of happiness throughout the season and then one playoff excitement. Obviously, like you said, not how you wanted to go out, not even being all that competitive of a game, which I think is what hurts the most. But you just you gotta remember that they did make playoffs. They won the East again, which is exciting. They went thirteen and three. So there's there's some positives in there, even though a Super Bowl would be obviously much more positive than anything but at the same time at least they they had a overall pretty successful regular season just not the way we wanted it to end
0: so we'll have our second traditional BSC awards for the Buffalo Bills 2022 season at the end of the show. So uh, if you want to follow along with that and follow along with us, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Buffalo Sports Collective and on Twitter at Buffalo Sports Code. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out our website at buffalosportscollective.com and check for the time breakdowns in the description of the show. Phil, we'll start with the Buffalo Sabres. They are on another nice four game winning streak and it started on Monday while well, it it continued on Monday, I should say, versus Dallas, the top team in the West, 3-2 to in overtime, goals by Darlene, Olofsson, and Power. Power had the game-winner in overtime, Anderson, 29 of 31 saves, shots were 31-25 to in favor of Dallas. Then on Tuesday, the very next day, they had to travel to St. Louis, so they had to go south to north, and north in the standings, they continued 1-5-3, to goals by Skinner, Tuck, Power, Tage, and Cousins. UPL started this one, went 25 with 28 saves. Shots were 31 to 28 in favor of the Sabres. And Phil, after this two-game win streak here that, you know, continued and is a total of four games now, they are 25-19-3. Phil, you can smell a playoff spot from where they're sitting in the division. They're the first ones out of the Eastern Conference as the standings are laying right now at 7.30 on Thursday. I have two things, both kind of about the games at the
1: same time, not about the games. But first off with Dallas, it was on ESPN plus, but it was blacked out locally. And I absolutely hate all of this blacked out nonsense. If I'm paying for ESPN plus and the game's on ESPN plus, just let me watch the game. It's in Dallas. It's not a home game. It's so frustrating when I went to click on it. It was like, nope, this isn't available in your area. And I I just wish that stuff would stop. And I don't know if you remember, I'm sure you do. Do you remember when, uh
0: huh? Bills days when they had a stadium when you were just
1: terrified. You're like, oh my gosh, we're not going to be able to watch this game. And you're sitting around your radio because the Bills didn't sell out. Uh, It's so, so frustrating. I don't understand. And like, I think I was just looking randomly on Instagram right after this happened, and the very first advertisement that popped up was like ESPN plus power play, watch all the games that are out of market or something. I was like, this is ridiculous. I shouldn't have to pay extra just to watch my team play in a way game. If it's not it wasn't even home or anything like that. I was like, they're away. This is when I should be able to watch them, but I wasn't able to watch them and it was very frustrating. But number two that I couldn't find, I couldn't look up, and I don't know if you know off the top of your head I, I mean it's a pretty interesting one to know or a tough and unique one but do you remember the last time the Sabers were, you know, X amount of games into the season and in a playoff spot. I'm not talking about in the hunt like if we sneak into that wild card spot physically in the standings. It it shows, you know, in the standings the Buffalo Sabers have the number 2 wild card spot. Do you know the last time? And I don't know, so I'm not I'm not trying to tell you I do. But do you know the last time the Sabers were Physically in a playoff spot at, you know, this late in the season.
0: Yes. Um, I believe it was 2018-2019 season when they went on that 10-game winning streak with, you know, where Jeff Skinner had like four or five overtime goals. (laughs) And uh, they were just winning non-stop with Jack Eichel and Allmark was still on the team and that I believe the collapse started to happen but I believe they were still in a playoff spot at this point in the season but yeah it was it was a 2018-2019 season I I don't know the exact standings as of you know this date that many years ago but I'm pretty sure it was that year when you know it was (laughs) it was a fun time when you actually thought oh man the playoff drought's gonna and and you didn't had no idea it was going to go on for at least four more years.
1: Yeah, say it's not not terribly far away. I mean, far enough for sure. But but getting back to the current games, I mean, like you said, Dallas is the number one team in the West. The Sabers have oddly done quite well against pretty powerful teams, and we've talked about yeah. it kind of throughout the year that even if they're not winning, they're in the game the whole time, and they're they're sneaking out a lot of overtime wins against really powerful teams. And they do it here once again. Even with Anderson and Net, the team finds a way to win and beat Dallas. And again, like I mentioned, because I couldn't watch it for some reason, away at Dallas. So it wasn't even a home game where you had the home crowd behind you. This was an away game. You went to Dallas and were able to beat the top team currently in the West, a team that obviously wants to win. So it's not like they were phoned in for any reason. So to be able to go out West to Dallas and find a way to beat this team, even if it took all the way to overtime. It was incredible, and they made a lot of really impressive plays, and this team is just looking more and more like a a true contender, and I know neither of us want to get our hopes too high because we don't want to see them crushed, but it's hard not to allow a little bit of hope sneak in there when this team is looking as good as they are.
0: Yeah, I mean, the traditional players in this one, I mean, Tage still playing amazingly, Darlene still playing amazingly. But I think it's more of the secondary scoring that when you went on that small four game losing streak, you weren't getting that secondary score. And Olufsen is on a tear. I mean, he's scored four of the last five games he's played in, not including the Thursday game that is currently, you know, in the highlight phase right now. But it's it's. You're getting goals from power now. He chipped in two in these these two games. He's done a two game winning streak, including that overtime one. But I, I haven't given enough credit to Anderson. He's played very well in the limited amount of times he's played, being that calming presence. In this one, You know how I said all last year, he's not going to win you games, but he's also not going to lose you games. He definitely won the Sabres this game because, I mean, 15 high danger chances kept the Sabres alive in this whole entire game. Dallas is is the top team in the Western Conference right now to go toe-to-toe with them being the youngest team in the NHL under 26 years of age averaged. And that's including the 41-year-old Anderson. So imagine if he wasn't on the team, how much lower that would be. He's kind of like that that skewed where it the like curve. spikes what, curve. <laughs> that's it. When they curve your average in in school, when you hated the person that scored so high, but I, I think they're, they're putting it all together. I mean, it, it's only 47 games into the season right now. So you got a ways to go, but with the pace they're on right now, it's hard not to get excited at least because we've been saying it all year long, just be in the race in, in March and April. And currently they're positioned perfectly unless some absolutely horrible, horrible things happen where they just tumble, which isn't out of the realm of possibilities because they've done it in the past, but this team should be in it all year long. And, and you're getting contributions from up and down the lineup now. And that's what you need to do when you're a potential playoff team,
1: especially in this one for the OT. I mean, that's an opportunity for Dallas to kind of show off why they're the better team you have, the open ice and for the Sabres to take it to Dallas in the OT the way they did and not only just take it to them, but win it. I mean, they looked like the better team. And that's just something that is, I don't know, hard hard to say or hard to even realize that I'm saying against a, a Dallas team. And I know, you know, it's one of those things in hockey where some nights are off nights, but I mean, Dallas played a good game, but the Sabres just looked really good and hung with them the whole time and won an overtime and it's it's a big win it's wins like this like you just mentioned for a really young team that these are the games that kind of just continue to build that confidence within these young players that we have a team that can do this and we have a team that can win against great competition
0: yeah and i mean that overtime goal sparked them and usually teams coming off a back-to-back they struggle down the stretch and you can kind of see that in this next game versus the blues where they went up four nothing i mean they went up two nothing before the first commercial break they scored two goals in the first minute 25 and then you know power continued his going streak like i said two games in a row scoring to make it 3 nothing, and then Tage Thompson, the start of the fourth, went, uh, his vintage Tage move, being so patient with the puck, no pressure, just He's going so around big. Bennington. <laughs> yeah, so big. Nobody that big should be able to make the moves he does and be as quick as he is for that size. But, I mean, going up 4 nothing, Blues come right back, cut it down to 4-3, and then you get Cousins, who made a beautiful, so smart play, being on the penalty kill down Six to four on the banked it off the boards and in the empty net to kind of clinch it. But I mean eleven and two, eleven two and one on the road since November eleventh. UPL has won ten of his last twelve decisions. It's four of the skaters right now for the Buffalo Sabers have twenty or more goals through forty-seven games, first time since the two thousand six two thousand seven season. I mean they're not setting records for this team, but the the names and other teams that they're in connection with right now are pretty historic for this franchise and, and it being able to take care of business on back to back. I was hoping for four points in this road trip and they've already got four points. So credit to them, they're just winning. And I think the other thing that's happening is they're so young that they don't have the expectations. They're playing with no expectations right now. They're just having out fun and battling it and showing it on the ice. And it's another credit to, Don Granado for unlocking all this skill on this team.
1: Yeah. I mean, you just mentioned Anderson keeping them in that Dallas game and he's kind of the reason they won that one. And same thing with UPL in the game against the blues. I mean, that four, nothing early lead looked great. I know, Three goals on 28 shots doesn't look incredible. That third period, though, the Blues were absolutely taking it to the Sabres that entire period, and he was the reason they were able to hang on to that win as late as they were. And like you said, that Cousins play, I don't know if I've seen a much bigger empty net goal in recent memory when the team is just, like you said, on the penalty kill, the Blues were taking it to them, looked like they easily could have found a way to get that puck in the net and he, on a complete solo effort, finds a way to get it not only out of the puck or out of the zone, but like you said, get it banked off the boards, go around that player, and then end up getting the empty net goal to seal that victory when the Blues looked like they were throwing absolutely everything they could at the Sabres to get back in that game and try to steal it from them. But you could see that they were up early and got tired, and then UPL really took over in the third to keep him in it. But I think they also need to – again, this one's kind of hard to – Say this about, but because it's a back to back, but I think they need to just find better ways to play with wins or play with a lead. And we've seen it a lot, I think, this year where they go up really early and the other team finds a way to battle all the way back and they either get a late goal or just hang on just barely. But they don't seem to play all that well with a lead. Either they don't continue to add on to that lead that they got early or they just collapse into a shell a little bit and don't play as free. I don't know. It seems like they just can't
0: seem, they just don't know how to play that well with a lead yet. So Phil, I'm going to throw out some numbers here. There's a lot of numbers, but some of these players are having career years and All the right. names wouldn't be shocking. I mean, dalian already set a pace for the most goals he's ever had with 14. He is one assist off the lead for his career best. He's at 39, his career best is 40, and he's tied with his most points ever in a season with 53. They're 47 games through the season right now. again, this is before the Thursday game with the Jets. Tage, his best season was 38 goals, 30 assists, 68 points last year. He's got 33, 33, and 66. And that's including being on somewhat of a goal drought right now. He's got two in the last 10, but I mean, he's still getting points like crazy. I mean, he has two points off his, his career best. He's five goals off his career best. Remember in the off season we were hoping, hey, if you get 30 again, that'll be amazing. He's at 33 already talk best season 20 32 and 52 he's already set his career best with goals he's two off of it with assists, and he's already set it with his points with 53 skinner his best is 40 32 and 63 he's got 34 points in his last 25 games phil he's got 20 goals 20 assists or 28 assists 48 points he's on pace to shatter his assist record personal best record i should say cousins the dude's unbelievable already. He already smashed all his personal best. <laughs> Last time, 13, 25, and 38. He's already got 17 goals, 26 assists for 43 points in a contract year. You're going to have to pay the man. Olsson: 20, 29, and 49. He's already shattered his uh, his best in goals, 22 goals. He's only got six assists, so he's got to pick that up. But he's scoring on five on five, which is the most important. And then Middlestad. He is already crushing it. Best was twenty or twelve goals, thirteen assists, twenty-five points. He's already got seven goals, twenty-one assists, twenty-eight points. It, it's just a. We said where I was going through all the numbers and everything with you. With it was over under whatever we were playing before the season started. Where we said a lot of these guys have to have career seasons to be able to take this team and make it competitive. That's exactly what you're getting from most of these guys and some of the other young guys that weren't even mentioned here are also stepping up.
1: And I mean, those last two you just mentioned were players that I don't want to say that we had written them off completely, but they were absolutely struggling at the beginning of the season. Olsen and Middlestat were just not playing well, not on the correct line, didn't have the right chemistry, were playing very poorly. So to see them start to really step it up, they're starting to really find their groove with that line that they currently have. And to see both of them have either a points career best already, or even Olufsen, who's kind of known as more of a goal scorer than an assist man. And he currently has the most goal he's ever scored in a season at 22. It's just a testament to what granado has been able to do with this young team and just not giving up on them and finding ways to kind of slightly rework those lines that then he finds something that works. He sticks
0: with it. And these players are absolutely responding to it. So, Phil, like we said, they are playing currently right now. Well, not right now. They're going to be playing in about 20 minutes versus the Jets, so we will be able to cover that on our next show, but we'll move on to the BSC update. I am up 16-66. Yes, three sixes in a row. That's probably not good luck for me. 0.05 to fourteen fourteen point seven two 1472 for you. You put up 22 points. I put up 17 in these last two-game stretch. So if you want to talk about that and let me know if you got any changes to your team.
1: Yeah, this is definitely the start of your downfall with that 6 6 6 and the fact that I put up more points than you in the Sabres. Oof. It's, it's not, not great. It's not, not looking great. good for you. Not
0: looking good. No. <laughs> Tage Thompson and <laughs> Jeff Skinner, uh, y- you can thank them. <laughs> <I> always do. <laughs> but uh, are you making but... any changes to your team? You got Tage Thompson, Jeff Skinner, Victor Olufsen, Owen Power, and Yoki. I'm sitting with Alex Tuck, Dylan Cousins, Shaq Quinn, Rasmus Dalin, and Matthias Samuelson. That's the other one.
1: Owen Power finally finding the back of the net, and even him, he we didn't did, really mention yeah. him a lot in those two games. I mean, scoring is one thing, but I think the big shift we saw in those two goals were him really attacking the offensive zone, coming yep. down to actually be a part of the offense. I just don't think we've seen that a lot in his game so far. Early in his career, he's been a much more stay-at-home defender, kind of sitting back, and even the goals he scored last season when he scored a couple, they were right in front of the net tap-ins and when he was kind of dropping down to help out and play offense. And that's what we saw on both the overtime goal and his just during the play goal where he found a way to sneak in behind the defense, come all the way down from his defensive point and play some offense. And now he's got back-to-back games with goals and hopefully that gets him going a little bit on the offensive side and it'll be interesting to see if they allow him to play a little bit more freely as an offensive player, not just a stay-at-home defender.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's he's been very, very good. The numbers aren't going to back it up, but if you look at the eye tests and all the analytics and stuff like that, he's been a very, very great defender for this team, both offensively and def- defensively. He's generating more opportunities when he's on the ice. It's just the numbers aren't flowing for him, and we never expected him to be the point producer defender that Rasmus Dallin is, but you don't need him to do that when you have Rasmus Dallin. You need him to be that 2A defender on that second line for the second pairing for your defense, and he's definitely been able to do that, and he's only 20 years old in his full season in the NHL. He's still a rookie. It's unbelievable what type of player he is and what type of player we hope he will continue to develop into. But, Phil, uh, like I said, they're facing the Jets right now. Saturday they got the Wild, but I wanted to add another segment here just to keep us excited for the Buffalo Sabres and the possibility of a playoff race here that they're currently in. It's called the Wild Card Watch, and uh, we're going to be doing this each show just to – you know, hopefully I trimmed down on the teams that I got to be talking about here currently as of this recording right now, I know a bunch of these players are teams are playing right now, but Pittsburgh sitting in the seventh spot, 47 games, 56 points. Washington's in the eighth, 50 points, 56 points. So Buffalo has three games in hand, three points behind Washington. That's the team you're looking to leapfrog. They got 47 games, 53 points. Florida sit in 10th, 50 games, 52 points, New York, 50 points or 50 games, 51 points. Uh, 12th place is Detroit 46 games 48 points and 13th is Philly with 49 games played 48 points so you're looking to take at least three from the wild and the Jets here hopefully hopefully fingers crossed you don't have you know a tunnel wiggle room but the more wins you put together with those games in hand that you have over Washington and then of course over Florida and New York you can inch closer to Washington and Pittsburgh while also distance distancing yourselves from Florida and New York.
1: Even just looking at where they are right now I mean if you told me at the beginning of the season that at the end of January Buffalo would be higher in the standings than Florida I would have thought you were out of your mind. Right. I mean Florida was a Stanley Cup looking contender last year looked absolutely incredible I would have easily pegged them as a, you know, top three, top four team in the East. And to see Buffalo just sitting on top of them in the standings is I mean, just amazing right there in itself. And like you mentioned, not only that, but pretty close to sitting in that second wild card spot. So Just incredible, the season they're having. I mean, it's a lot of fun, no matter what happens, playoffs or not. We didn't expect them to make playoffs this year. So, I mean, no matter what happens, it's been a lot of fun. It's been really entertaining, and that's what a lot of people are saying about this Buffalo Sabres team, is that they're fun to watch, and I think that's all we've ever asked for. I think in the last uh, lot of years, when they've been really sad and depressing and not scoring, and that was one of the things Granato came in and said he wanted to do, was make it entertaining for the fans to watch this team and they are quite the entertaining team to watch
0: well phil i'm gonna double down on that it is friday so it's pk's hot corner friday doubling down the buffalo sabers are making the playoffs i'm saying it now with the last two games that i've been able to watch with the them taking on dallas beating them in overtime and then of course you know taking on the the blues and knocking them down i think think this is the team that's going to get them over the hump. And I wrote my article back in April, is this the team that's going to be able to break the streak? And I, I said, I think it is. And I, I fully think that this is the team that's going to be able to do it. They got the skill level. As long as they continue to get the goaltending, they're going to be able to make the playoffs. They got the games in hand. As long as nothing chaotic happens, which has happened in the past, I have the Buffalo Sabres making the playoffs and breaking the drought. I was going to ask you, not that this saber
1: segment isn't already running a little bit long, but I was going to ask you, what do you think the biggest impact player would be And to me? And I think you honestly just said it kind of in your little speech there, but I think it is UPL. I think currently so far, I don't think anyone really saw him emerging the way he has. And like you've mentioned, a lot of times he may give up a decent amount of goals, but he's keeping this team in a lot of games, stealing a lot of games for these teams, and getting every single point that he can out of them. And I think he, so far, is the difference. I mean, coming into the season, we thought it was going to be Comrie and Anderson, and I think we had pretty decent hopes for Comrie being a decent goalie after what he showed last year, but he's been injured. And since then, they've just let UPL be UPL because he's been incredible. But to see Comrie go down and UPL step up the way he has, knowing that we weren't Quite sure he was ready for this leap, and if his development was truly at that point to be a true NHL starting goaltender. But so far in this season, he's not only proved that he can do it, but he's also staying healthy while doing it. So I think for me, the biggest impact player to have this team in a wild card watch at all is UPL.
0: So we will cover the last two games that the Buffalo Sabres are going to be playing. And then they got one more before the All-Star break. But we'll move on to a segment that's going to take a while because for some reason they wanted to do back-to-back. I know the reason is because they're smaller teams and they have to rent out the places when they can. But we'll move on to the Buffalo Bandits here. Before we dive into the double header that we have to talk about, we have a trade to announce. Marcus Minichiello. He was traded to Philly for a conditional sixth round pick. A lot of people are wondering what the con- conditions are on that. And some of them were like, hey, Marcus, for with a sixth, to Philly for a sixth, and it got a bunch of people confused. Well, if you did a little bit of homework, people, don't just rely on us to do it. Actually, rely on us to do it because then we have jobs. But the condition is Buffalo will get the higher of the two picks between Buffalo and Philly in 2025. So if Philly has the higher pick, it goes to Buffalo. If Buffalo has the higher pick, they retain it. This move was made to activate Bryce Sweeting, who was on the holdout list, but Phil, the more important thing was they still need to make room for Adam Bomberry to be activated for this team. They haven't done it yet. I know they have space on their practice squad, so they're probably going to be able to do that. I'm just not sure who's going to get sent down. If I were to guess, it's probably going to be either Dalton Solver or Carter McKenzie, just based on the most recent healthy scratches from the Buffalo bandits rotation
1: yeah i'm, I'm happy for minic i just don't think he ever really found his footing here i don't think he played poorly i just don't think the bandits really just needed the type of player that he was right. per se just, really just could not find a way to crack this starting roster but i think it's good for the player i think he is a good player i think it's a good opportunity for him so i'm actually pretty happy for him in general he just kind of like I said, never really was able to make that starting roster too often for Buffalo. So it's good for him to get a new chance. As far as the six coming back, it's kind of whatever, but like you said, I think more importantly, it's a move to kind of free up some roster airs, you know, move up some roster moves as far as Buffalo goes. Cause they were, in quite the log jam with the amount of players they have right now. So it does get Sweeting back, but at the same time, I think they absolutely need to find a way to make Bombberry active for this weekend. Hopefully they can. I mean, you got back-to-back games. He's supposed to be an incredible defender. We haven't seen him play yet, but everything that happened last year, he was one of the better defenders in the league. So hopefully they can find a way to make him active for this weekend in these two games.
0: Cause it looks like they could use him. Yeah. I mean, Minichiello is one of the fastest human beings I've ever seen on a lacrosse crossfield, so he's going to find a role in the NLL for sure, and Philly needs players, and I'm sure... I, I, think we'll right also want, <laughs> yeah, I think Dietrich also wanted to give Minichiello an opportunity to play, and I think that was also part of this. I mean, he could have just said, hey, we're cutting you, good luck, but I think he found him a good team to go to in Philly, and that's the first team we're going to be talking about, because Friday, tonight... They travel to Philly to face on the Wings, who are 2-3, 10 goals for, which is the worst in the East, and 13 goals against, which is third worst in the East. They've lost to Halifax. They've lost to Panther City, and they've got crushed by the Toronto Rock. They do have two wins, one versus Georgia, one versus Las Vegas. Neither team are anything to write home about. Georgia is still the only winless team. Las Vegas is the expansion team with one win, so they don't have quality wins, They have really bad losses to Halifax and Toronto, but that doesn't mean you can take this team lightly. I know that Philly is always a team that is a wild card. You never really know what to expect from them. I mean, they got some players up in the forward group, and we'll go over those lefties. They got two young kids on the left-hand side, Tate Katoni and Hunter Lemieux. Both of them haven't stood out yet this year. I mean, Katoni just got there in a recent trade from Albany. Lemieux only played in four games, but Matt Rambo and Blaze Reardon on the left side. I mean, they're lighting it up both with 21 points. On the right-hand side, Sam Leclair, He's another young guy. I think they're slowly grooming them into taking over some of the big-time roles, but Ben McIntosh and Joe Reseteris on the right-hand side, both terrifying, especially Reseteris over from Albany. I think this team has the offensive ability I just don't think they've put this all together yet. I think they're still gelling with Reseteris coming over from Albany. So it, it's it's definitely not a team you can take lightly whatsoever because they have talents on the forward group.
1: Yeah, they're they're that mix of young and veterans that you kind of want to yep. see, but it's yep. a, a youthful and veteran combination that just hasn't put it together yet. Like you mentioned, I mean, McIntosh, Reseteris, Riordan, and Rambo are all very quality NLL players that can get it done when they need to. But I think just relying on those guys, I mean, Reza found a good way to kind of lead his team last year with Benny. But at the same time, it's hard to put a team on your back completely. So I think they have some pieces that are definitely threatening. And like you said, a team that you can't take lightly, they have the ability to steal a game, I think is a good way to put it. But at the same time, if you play Bandits lacrosse and you play the way the defense can, the way Matt Vince can, I think their offense just hasn't found a way to completely put it together yet. They might a little bit later in the season, but right now they're relying heavily on the veterans. And I think it's a little bit easier to focus on those players to shut them down, especially Rezaterra. I mean, the Bandits did a good job last year when they played Albany of shutting him down and taking him out of the game, I mean, as best you can, because he, he's going to get his. But if you can kind of remove him as an element, reordins their other one on the other side, having a really good season. I think if you can focus on those two, as far as the defense goes, you're going to do a really good job of containing that offense because they just don't have quite the depth that a lot of other teams do right now.
0: Yeah, I think the offensive group is very similar style to what we're going to be talking about when we preview the New York Riptide in just a second. But if you can shut down Reseteris, I think you got a great opportunity to take this team down. He is their main threat. He is the guy that the offense runs through. But the also group that you got to watch out for is the transition and defense, because yes, this team gives up a lot of goals, but they have some great transition players that can get the ball from the defense up to the fours and the big one is uh i know this is going to hurt phil because we both really wanted him to come to buffalo but kyle matisse two 13 and 15 with 35 loose balls on the season. He's a great transition guy who plays a ton of time in the forward group as well. And then Trevor, uh, Trevor Batiste. I mean, he just won the MVP over in the PLL. He's got 64% win percentage in the faceoff. that 50 loose balls. He's only got one goal to assist for three points on the young season, but him Matisse, when you pair him with Ryan Wagner and Chad Tutton, Ch- Tutton came over from Georgia. They have some quality pieces on the back end. You can even add in Kiello in this group. They're going to be very quick and are able to transition from defense to forwards real quick. So this is an opportunity where the Buffalo Bandits have been very good in transition lately, getting off the field and on. Remember last year, how many times we were complaining where, you know, how many times did you see Nick Rose, just popping the ball out and rock scoring on the transition. Dougie Jameson. they were very exposed last year in the transition game. I think that's an aspect of their game that they fix very, very quickly in the off season and address it very much. So in this season, but this is a game where you're going to have to be on your, on your game and uh, shut it down because they, they can score and get it up to the forwards very quickly.
1: Yeah. I was going to mention that the bandits have done a really good job so far this yep. year at limiting teams, transition ability. The only, negative I've seen with it is sometimes the offensive group is a little bit too antsy to sprint off the field and there's opportunities, second chance opportunities. There was one last game against Rochester where I forgot who it was. Uh, Might've been Nanakoke, I'm not sure. Somebody picked it up and got the rebound with like 11 or 12 seconds left. And he looked up and there was absolutely nobody on the field because the entire offensive group had just ran off and he ended up just whipping a shot in by himself and then running off himself. And it was just those opportunities, and it's tough. It's a tough in a league like this where transition is a huge part of the game, and you obviously want to cover that. But at the same time, you want to also not limit your offense to missing decent opportunities with that much clock left. So I think they have to find a little bit better balance of when the offense should run off. But as far as shutting down opponents' transition games, I think they've done a really good job this year. And like you said, it was something that they struggled with quite a bit last year. And even teams that are kind of known for it so far this year They've done a really good job limiting those opportunities, so I will take that as a win.
0: Yeah, and net between the pipes, you're going to see a familiar face, Zach Higgins, who played unbelievably last year. And I think that's a big reason why Philly made the playoffs last year, but he's been struggling so far. He's 2 and 2, 13.21 goals against, and a 76% save percentage. He's not having the year that he had last year, but he can step it up at any point. And a lot of this number, a lot of the numbers here, are from the first Halifax game where Halifax was just lighting up the lamp. I remember watching it and just going, what the heck's going on? Halifax was just humming that game. So uh, some of those numbers are inflated from that game. So you can't just read that and just go, oh man, he sucks this year. He's still a very high quality goalie back there. And you have to pick the corners when you can. This, I think this is a good game for the Buffalo Bandits offense to look to capitalize on a team that's struggling a bit and a goalie. If you can score early and quickly, I think you can get Higgins off his game. And I think that's a big aspect to being able to defeat the Philadelphia Wings.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you take that 18 game out of it, you have a 12, a 9 a what 12 and a 14 so right overall really not that bad I mean sitting realistically closer to a little bit closer to 12 or 11 goals on average if you remove that ridiculous 18 game out of there and even this most recent one 14 against Toronto Toronto is pretty much humming right now so I think that's a little bit closer so right around the 12 mark is where he's a little bit closer to he's a better goalie than those stats show but at the same time this this bandits offense is struggling in a way that, again, they're very top-heavy. We understand why you're missing Fraser, you're missing Cloutier. We say it pretty much every episode because it's just very obvious right now that you're missing two of your pure goal scorers, and the Bandits have not found a good way either to scheme or to have somebody else step up, and I think that's going to be the biggest thing with this offense moving forward. I mean, the fact that they're sitting 4-2 and and look pretty good and have won some pretty big games honestly to me is kind of impressive with the offense that they've had it's been a lot a lot of Josh Byrne and then kind of a patchwork behind it but they haven't had too much consistency in depth scoring outside of Dane Smith and Josh Byrne and at some point that well is going to run a little bit drier than it is I mean expecting Byrne and Smith to put up the amount that they are currently every single game Is just unrealistic, so hopefully somebody will find a way to step up, and even if they can get two or three consistently from somebody else or just in general get more than one a game from a kind of patchwork depth offensive players, I think they need someone or, again, the entire offense to step up a little bit and just chip in a little bit more because this offense is a little bit too top-heavy at the moment.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you said consistency. I think that's the biggest thing. You need that third goal scorer. I know Nanticoke was it early in the season, and he's kind of stumbled the last two games, sophomore slump. Hopefully, this is the opportunity where you got Philly, and in just a second we're going to be talking about New York, that can have goals scored against them. But, Phil, what is your prediction for the Philly game? I uh, you, you watched How I Met Your Mother, And,
1: uh, do you remember really early on when I think they were going to Philly, I think it was like the first season and I think it was Barney just kind of yells Philly. And, (laughs) uh, I don't know why that really just got stuck in my head for a moment. Um, as far as a non-tangent prediction, let's see, let's go 14 because I don't trust Philadelphia's defense, but I also don't really trust the bandits offense with the way it currently is. But I do trust Matt Vince to step it up after that last game I think he is someone who studies tape like no one's business so I think he's gonna kind of look at what happened last game and figure some things out he usually bounces back from weaker performances with a stellar
0: performance I'm gonna go 14 to eight Phil I thought we were gonna do it I thought we were gonna have our first ever exact prediction uh I got him was a 2 yeah, fourteen nine I got 149 you were too high i was, I was too a little bit too high <laughs> but it was, uh, it was yeah close. yeah it's it's going to be a very entertaining game tonight and with that we'll move on to the saturday game versus new york they're going to be traveling from philly to new york in an overnight trip new york coming in one and four 11.2 goals for 14.2 goals against that is second worst in the east phil i i i I think I was wrong, man. I I don't think New York's making the playoffs. I I think I got this one. I I think I goofed. I I think I got time,
1: but it's not looking great.
0: They are on a winning streak right now, but they lost their first four. But I mean, if you look at the teams they've lost to 15 to 14 to San Diego, who is one of the top teams in the West, 20 to 11 versus Halifax, who's just loaded offensively, 15 to seven against Toronto. Toronto doesn't let anybody score. And then 11, eight against Rochester who's leading the East. So out of the start to the season they got really yeah, was, unlucky with who they had to face gauntlet, <laughs> yeah man. and then and then uh just last weekend 16 to 10 versus Albany for group these names are going to sound familiar because a lot of them i mean besides Callum Crawford who went out the door and got traded Thanks, it's uh, the, yeah thank goodness for us lefty yes. forwards really good riley o'connor coming over from albany he's got 21 points larsson sundown quiet season so far but he's got eight goals three assists and 11 points but the man the myth the legend the Unbelievable. Jeff T 13 goals, 24 assists, 37 points. He's got eight power play assists, 31 loose balls, but he does have 20 cause turn or 20 turnovers. And then on the righty side, Tyler Digby has not only played in three games. Connor Kiernan. He is the only big-time threat besides the n- new addition of Brett Hickey, who's got you know a six-point game under his belt so far in his first game with the team. But Connor Kiernan, nine goals, eight assists, seventeen points. This team is not as loaded up top as I thought they would be because a lot of these guys haven't made the step that I thought they would with Larson Sundown and, you know, Connor Kiernan not piping up the goals that I thought they would, but they're still threatened. You know, Jeff Teat killed the Buffalo Bandits all last year. I mean, New York came into town and just took them and tore them apart last year. So you cannot look past the New York Riptide regardless of their one and four record.
1: Yeah, I think the scariest thing with this game is that it is back-to-back, and New York is a younger team. They're a fast team. They're a team that likes to score, can score. I know their 11.2 goals forward doesn't look very good. We just mentioned the extreme gauntlet that they have faced to start the season, but then they were able to put up 16 against Albany. I think this game is definitely, of the two, going to be a little bit more of the trap game. I think that the defense will be okay, but they're also going to be a little bit tired playing back-to-back and... This is a game that, similar to the NHL, where that third period is kind of nerve-wracking when you're playing back-to-back and your team kind of starts to collapse and they get a little bit tired, I'm a little bit worried about this game in the second half, just what the Bandits will be able to pull out. I mean, these are two big games. I mean, every game, we've mentioned it a hundred times now, especially with Rochester sitting at 6-0, and every single loss is huge, so you need to win both of these games, even though it's early in the season they're big games. I mean, if you can win both of these, you come out six and two and your season's looking pretty good. Even one and one and you're five and three doesn't look quite as nice. But this New York game is going to be, I think, a little bit scarier than it seems on paper, simply because you're playing back to back and they have some younger players that can put the ball in the back of the net. As far as their defense goes, it's not all that great. But I mean, if you can somehow, which nobody has yet to figure out, find a way to Keep Jeff T contained. Maybe Bomberry, who uh I don't know if he'll even be in this game. But if they can get him activated by then, maybe they just put Bomberry on T and we see what he's got and see how he does. But I mean, this offense again, it's just younger. And I think playing back to back, it's going to be a tougher matchup than it looks like.
0: Yeah, I mean, in the transition game of the defense, this is the team that's been trying to fix their defense since they came into the league. I mean, they added Kevin Brownell. He hasn't done a ton on that defensive end, but he's at back and leadership. I think they're just looking to grow on that back end. Jay Thurbert, one goal, one assist, two points, 49 loose balls, two cost turnovers, but he's only 44% in the face of that. And then Damon Edwards, he, he's probably their best defender on this team right now. 20 loose balls, four cost turnovers. So when he's your best defender, there's not a ton of threat back there. But again, you can't take any team for granted in this league whatsoever. And you're going to hear me say that all year long and it's going to get annoying, but it's, it's a team that if you run into on and off night, they can pipe in the goals and beat you. And Steve Orleman, one in three, 14.51 goals against and a 74% save percentage. Like I said, with Higgins struggling and Orleman struggling, I think you need to get out early on both of these goalies. You need to be able to capitalize, pipe in three, four, five goals in the first quarter and shut down any momentum they might have and get into the groove in the goaltender net. And then they're going to start doubting themselves. I mean, both goalies are not stellar seasons so far yes they're great goaltenders but it, they're if you get them off the rhythm early you can capitalize throughout the rest of the game but phil with that we have our second prediction what is your prediction for buffalo at new york
1: i'm surprised with myself that looking at the bandits offense and the way it's shaking out so far that i continue to put them in the teens with scoring because, honestly, looking at it on paper, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But I will give them 13-10 with a victory, and I think there's going to be a late empty netter to make it 13. Otherwise, I was going to say 12-10, but I think we're going to get a late empty netter for the Bandits.
0: First off, I wanted to point out that since they they lost at Rochester, I can actually start predicting the right way now. <laughs> so Yeah, I'm happy yeah, for uh, you. Yeah, it's actually going to show now. I got him winning 16 to 12. I think this oh, is a game mean, where the Buffalo offense is going to come to show. I personally think this is a big dog on week. I think he's going to get off the the schneid, the two game drought of no scoring, which is not like Anacoke whatsoever. And I think this is the two teams that you can do that against before you head home to Rochester. Like you said, look, six and two looks a heck of a lot better than five and three. I'm not saying it's must wins, but if you want to keep pace in the East and Rochester already has two game lead with the game over Buffalo so far, you got to take both of these games. You got to be beating the teams you're supposed to be beating. You can't have any laps. And I don't think this team is going to, but you can't count anybody out. New York's one of those teams that can pipe in the goals, especially when you have a fan favorite and one of my favorites, Jeff Teat on the other side.
1: Yeah, Dan is an interesting player this year so far. I think in the last couple of games we've seen him on this goal drought, he's hit a ton of posts, so he's come yes, extremely close to scoring. Like you said, very unlucky, but I think they also need to find ways, like they did last year a lot. and some Pick and roll. I just don't understand why it's not used more often. It seems to work really well, but I think – the problem, one of the problems with this offense is that they just, they don't seem to pass and set things up as much as I think I would like them to. They seem, selfish isn't the right word for it. But when, you know, Smith passes to Byrne, Byrne takes it upon himself to score. When Byrne passes to Smith, Smith takes it upon himself to score. Nanako's out there taking on six players by himself. I feel like this team just is, they're, they're not selfish in the way that they only want to score. I'm not saying, you know, Burns always calling his own number, wants to score all the goals. I don't think they have that kind of mentality, but they simp- they just don't seem to play as much of a like you mentioned, pick and roll, high passing kind of offense. They seem to just kind of pass it around and then the clock gets a little bit lower and one of the, you know, top players on the team takes it upon themselves to try to find a way to score, but they don't seem to do a lot of quick passing and finding open lanes or picking rolls to get Nanticoke wide open. They just seem as selfishly unselfish, I guess, in a way. And it, I feel like the offense just needs to tweak a little bit. And a lot of that comes from some of the newer guys on the team. You know, you're, you're playing with newer faces a little bit more consistently. So the chemistry is not quite there, but I think they just need to scheme a little bit more as far as their offense goes. And I think doing things like that will unlock the depth scoring a little bit more than it currently is.
0: So Phil, here sitting with Dane Smith, Tohokin Anacoke, Brandon Robinson, Ian McKay, Matt Spanger. I have Josh Byrne, Brad McCully, Kyle Buchanan, Steve Priolo, Nick Weiss. Are you making any changes to that team? Remember it is for two games.
1: I, oh man, do I take, do I take the, the big swing? And, uh, you know,
0: I honestly have no idea what you're talking about.
1: I don't know his play style at all. That's, that's Are you talking about Bombary? I'm talking about Bombary.
0: Yeah, I think he's going to be active. I can't see them not getting him in the lineup after the full week, being able to get your physical done and everything in Buffalo and not being able to travel to your team. They're going to make some kind of move to get him in that lineup.
1: I'll put it this way. I don't see you picking up Spanger for any reason because your defense is currently quite set with uh, Weiss having the incredible season that he's having. So, yeah, I will go uh, Bomberry for Spanger, and we will we'll roll the dice and, and see what happens.
0: And uh, the move is finalized. I'm not making any moves. And uh, with that, we'll move on to our milestones and possibilities of milestones. There's a lot because, remember, there's two games. So some of these numbers might seem there's no way they're getting this. There's two games, so it's possible. Kyle Buchanan, he's still just one goal away (laughs) from 200 first career. I think this is the third time I've had to say this. He likes to keep us waiting. Josh Byrne, only 12 shots away from 500 first career. If Matt Vince plays both games, that will move him into solo possession of ninth place in NLL history with 259 games played, passing Anthony Cosmo. Nick Weiss is one game play away from 100 for his Buffalo Bandits career. That would put him just, in addition, that would be just 12 players to ever play 100 games with the organization. Josh Byrne is 14 points away from passing Rich Kilgore for sixth place in Buffalo Bandits history. Again, Doesn't seem possible, but when he got two games and it's Josh Byrne, very possible. Ian McKay is sitting at 47 cause turnovers with the Buffalo Bandits. That's good for tied for ninth place all time. Matthew Bennett is also in ninth place with 47. Jay Thorbert, who they're going to be playing on Saturday, is eighth with 48. So two cause turnovers, he's got eighth place to himself. Nick Weiss is three cause turnovers away from 100 for his Buffalo Bandits career. He would be just the fourth Buffalo Bandit ever to record 100 cost turnovers in the black and orange. Then our boy, our hardest working five second shift man in the league, Max Adler. He's currently 11th in face of attempts with 394. 10th is Tom Fair with 417. He's 23 behind that. 9th is Chase Frazier with 434. He's 40 behind that. And then this one might be a bit of a stretch, but 8th place is Rob Kirkby with 453. He's 59 away from that. So if you get 30-30. Thirty and thirty, he passes it and has eighth place to himself. He's also thirteenth in faceoff wins for the Buffalo Bandits. This is insane because he's only played like sixteen games with the Buffalo Bandits in history. He's got 171. Twelfth is Brian Silcott with 176. That's five away. Eleventh is Tim Edwards. I think. You know they used to call him Colonel Tim Edwards, if I remember correctly. 184, 13 away from that, and then in tenth place is Nick Weiss. He's 15 away, and Nick Weiss is sitting at 186. So that just tells you how very, you know, infrequent the Buffalo Bandits have a great faceoff dot guy in you know Buffalo Bandits history. I think
1: Nick Weiss is gonna start calling his own number to make sure he keeps that. He's just right. gonna, he's just gonna go in the faceoff dot. Ah, coach told you to set this one out. I gotta I gotta take this one.
0: Yeah, I got this one. But yeah, a couple of huge, huge milestones that can be happening. I mean, once again, Josh Byrne moving up the leaderboard and 14 points away from moving into sixth place. That's insane for, you know, where he is in Buffalo Banner's franchise history. Yeah, I mean, the season he's
1: having already, we talked about it numerous times. I mean, he is arguably one of the the few reasons that the Banett currently sit 4 and 2 he's playing just incredible and again he just does not get the credit that he really deserves even now i feel like i mean maybe now he's he's starting to get it cuz he's number 1 in the league in points but smith's still having quite the good season i saw that uh i think it was going to get this quote exactly wrong but i think smith said something to the effect of if josh keeps putting up six goals a game maybe he'll start getting the double teams instead of me And (laughs) I think at some point you will start to see a little bit more of a shift toward, you know, which one do you pick on for that game? Do you pick on Josh to try to double him up and stop him? Or do you pick on Dane who is still consistently getting double teamed and still finds ways to make other teammates, you know, his assist numbers are incredible this year and he's also still putting goals in, but Josh moving up the leaderboard. I mean, it's just incredible what he's been able to do in the black and orange. And I can't imagine not having him i know there was a what a tweet or something that came out about him possibly not being a buffalo yeah, it bandit was
0: on his uh the, the podcast that him and dane smith That's had what it was. he was talking about going out in i think 2015 i think it was and it was going to go to vancouver and then i think it was rochester won it somebody yes. so i can't remember yeah rochester won the draft and he stayed in school and went to the bandits in 2017 couldn't imagine this team without him that, I mean, that's yeah, that like the Tage Thompson sure. thing where if they would have moved Tage Thompson right. for the fifth round pick, what would the team look like? What would the team look not like? Not Really, as good. <laughs> no, not at all. But Phil, we will cover those two games on our loaded Monday show, but we'll move on to our final segment here. It's the award season. Phil, round of applause for the award season. It is time to announce the 2022 BSC Awards for the Buffalo Bills.
1: Yeah, I think it's uh, some, some. would argue. I mean, especially us, that it's even more impressive to win these awards than it would be a Super Bowl. So,
0: 100%.
1: I, I hope. I know they said Josh has his uh, – what was it? I know he's got his his speech prepared for the Super Bowl. He's got – I forgot which kind of alcohol he has set aside in case the Bills ever win the Super Bowl, but I, I hope he has the same things for these awards as well in case he gets no, one. No, he's I got something he's, better. Oh, okay. Good, good, good. As long yeah, as he has the, a speech, these I, awards I would, like, are to, much I would more like to see the speech – for his BSC award. If he if he gets we one. Gotta, we'll see. We'll see.
0: Yeah. If he if he gets one. But we'll start with the MVP. Our candidates here and our nominees are Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, Matt Milano, and Jordan Poyer. Last year's award winner is Josh Allen. And this year, Phil, Jerome Roll Please. The award winner is Josh Allen. Congratulations, two-time champion. He's the only one that has ever worn this award. 42, just under 4,300 yards passing, 35 touchdown passes, 14 interceptions. Josh, you got to knock those ones off, but he ran the ball 124 (laughs) times, 762 yards and seven touchdowns, so 42 total touchdowns. 42 times that man has been the cause of the Buffalo Buffalo Bills scoring a touchdown this year.
1: Yeah, I think the big thing with him earning this award and just even being in contention for it for the actual full NFL. I think it it all comes down to what a lot of people are saying at the end of the season is that Josh Allen covered up a lot of mistakes and kind of inefficiencies that the bills had throughout the entire season, leading them to 13 and three, that if it wasn't for his just incredible, Freakish abilities that the Buffalo Bills would not be where they are, let alone thirteen and three, and that he kind of hit a lot of the Bills' flaws until the playoff game when it just it finally kind of fell apart. But I think that's one of the big reasons he has is sitting here again as the back-to-back Buffalo Bills MVP.
0: Josh, congratulations! Your coveted trophy is in the mail. We'll move on to the offensive player of the year, last year's award winner. Josh Allen. Shocking. The nominees this year are Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, Dawson Knox, and Mitch Morris. Phil, we have an upset this year. Stefan Diggs is the offensive player of the year for the Buffalo Bills. 108 receptions, 1,429 yards, 11 touchdowns, second team all pro. He has tied the Buffalo Bandits with uh, the most amount of reception touchdowns in a single season. The guy is just unbelievable. Regardless of him being ticked off because he lost, I want my wide receivers to be angry. I know WGR had a caller say this week that they wanted to trade him for a second or third. Get out of Buffalo, you lunatic! <laughs> Stefan Diggs ain't going nowhere. He is earning every bit of this contract. I mean, he has three, like three of the best wide receiver years in all of Buffalo Bandits history, and I think he deserves. Okay, this if award. you call it Buffalo Bandits one more time, I did it again, Phil. There's <laughs> this too is many BBs, like and I'm going to file three a times petition. In a row that you have called file a petition. The
1: Buffalo I let it it, it slide the first two times. The third time, I couldn't. I couldn't couldn't sit back and let you screw it up again. But as far as Stefan Diggs goes, I mean, we talked about this a lot after that loss, that the Bills offense isn't nearly as talented as some of the offenses out there. Yes, we have Josh Allen. Yes, you have Stefan Diggs. But the depth behind them is lacking. But they worked so well and scored so many points because you have Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs. Like you just mentioned, he has three of the best buffalo bills wide receiver single season seasons of all time and he hasn't been here all that long i believe uh you know something like three seasons so the fact that he is once again doing it and just doing it the ways he was i mean how many games do we complain that he wasn't getting enough targets for the talent that he is and yet At the end of the season, he has incredible numbers despite maybe not being as hyper targeted as he probably should have been. So, to even have a few off games here and there with the targets down a little bit to put up the numbers that he does so consistently, he's clearly one of the best in the business right now. And he, you know, I'm not going to say Josh Allen would be nothing without him, but he definitely helps Josh Allen quite a bit to have just that incredible, true wide receiver one safety blanket. He's going to go out and do what he does, and I agree with you. I'm also very happy when a player like that gets angry at the end of a game like this and doesn't sit around and wallow, I guess, where a lot of us fans were just kind of sad that it was over, but at the same time, this year, like you said, last year, I think we were truly sad that it ended. This year, we were more disappointed, frustrated with the performance that was put out there, and you could definitely tell Stefan felt the exact same way.
0: So our next award, well, Stefan, uh, your award's in the mail. Congratulations on your first one ever. Uh, Cherish it accordingly. I think we should
1: deliver these like the Dundees in the office around 5 a.m. We'll show up to these players' houses with the the BSC award, and we will uh, have to film their reactions as they probably call security and kick us out.
0: Yeah, that's fine. We'll we'll get close enough where we'll get them on camera. But we'll move on to the Defensive Player of the Year. Last year's award winner was Jordan Poyer. I know, Phil, we have some discrepancies here, so I'll talk about my first award winner first, and then you can talk about yours. Matt Milano is mine. 99 tackles, 72 of those were solo. One and a half sacks, three interceptions, one touchdown, 11 pass defenders, two forced fumbles, 12 tackles for losses, and he was the first team All-Pro. What else can you say about the man behind the number 58 for the Buffalo Bills. I almost said it again, but I corrected myself. He is one of the best linebackers in the league. He, is, he was one of the best players, if not the best player in that playoff loss versus Cincinnati. He is unbelievable. And you have him on such a cheap deal, making what, like 10 or $11 million. It's unbelievable the deal he signed two years ago in the offseason when we really thought we were going to lose him. And then we sat down to record this and holy crap, he's back. But I I am so happy that the fifth round pick of Matt Milano turned into what he is, and I'm so happy he's finally getting the recognition he deserves.
1: Yeah, Matt Milano is incredible. I mean, like you, I think that last part is the biggest thing. Well, maybe not the biggest thing. The biggest thing is that he continues to play at such an incredibly high level, but it is nice. It's a bonus to see him finally getting the credit he deserves. We know he's been an incredible linebacker for the Bills for quite some time, but I think he was also just... Not by Buffalo, by any means, but I think throughout the NFL, he was underappreciated as a top-tier linebacker. I think he just didn't get the credit that he deserved. He was often up there as far as, you know, coverage linebackers go, but as a complete linebacker, I don't think he ever really got the credit he deserved until this year, so it was great to see not only analysts and announcers, but getting that, you know, all pro team. I think that's huge. So congratulations to Matt Milano. My defensive player of the year was someone who the Buffalo Bills desperately needed down the stretch. And that is Jordan Poyer. After Micah Hyde went down, I think they were scrambling a little bit. Hamlin absolutely stepped up this year. He had a monster year, but then Hamlin went down And I think just having Poyer be a consistent player back there, a consistent veteran, and we've talked about it so many times with this team particularly, where the cornerbacks this season were not great. I mean, White was injured most of the season, even when he came back, he wasn't quite himself. Your backups at cornerback, Dane Jackson, had a bit of a rough season, Kyrie Elam. They refused to put on the field for some reason. Other than that, you had a patchwork of quarterback. So your safety position was huge. I mean, that's your literal safety blanket for what the Bills do on defense. And when Poyer was out there, they were 13-1. and The only loss they had was in the playoffs. But he played through so many injuries this year. I mean, the guy, I mean, we we made fun of it in one podcast that his elbow should not look the way it did, yet he was somehow on the field with it partially wrapped, trying to play. And I, I don't know how one plays when their elbow was as dislocated and awful looking as his was, but he was out there as much as he possibly could be. And again, I think just the veteran presence having him over the top having him as a true safety blanket for this defense. I think he meant a lot to the team this year with the injuries. They ended up having at safety and you could just tell the difference he made when he was on the field. And I I think it's hard not to give it to Milano, but I I do want to give it to Poyer in back-to-back years for me.
0: So Matt Milano and Jordan Poyer, your awards are in the mail. We'll move on to rookie of the year. We got a few nominees here. Last year's award winner was Gregory Rousseau nominees. Kair Elam, James Cook, Khalil Shakir, and Christian Benford. Benford coming out of nowhere, but the award goes to, and it was a, uh, it was a run right up to the end. But we got to give it to James Cook, 89 rushes for 507 yards, two touchdowns. But Phil, here's the big note: 5.7 yards a carry. Buffalo, give the man the ball because they can't stop him. If he do it twice in a row, he's got a first down every time. 100 or i'm sorry 21 receptions that would be an amazing stat line if he had over 100 180 (laughs) yards receiving and a touchdown i think he's going to be very very involved in this offense next year i think they're going to be able to design more plays for him and if singletary's out the door you have james cook as your lead back next year so congratulations to rookie of the year for the bsc james cook yeah, the other ones, uh turns out the Bills didn't want to play anybody
1: this year as far yep. as rookies go, and very strange why you didn't play your first-round cornerback when you absolutely needed some cornerback help, but uh, he remained on the bench. Khalil Shakir, every single time he played and they gave him an opportunity, he came up with a really big catch, and then he would kind of fade to the background, and Benford, like you said, actually did have quite a good season. But James Cook was the runaway literally with this award so far for this year, Rookie of the Year, James Cook. Watching, again, we, we said about it on one of our podcasts, just watching the change of pace ability he has. It's very interesting. I'm not saying he can't juke. I'm not saying he can't cut, but watching him literally just sprint past people and not really make much of a move, but just make a, a slight change of direction. And then you just simply can't catch him and he just runs right past you. It was a lot of fun to watch him this year. And I hope he continues to be unlocked next
0: year as well. So James, uh, you can show off your trophy to your brother Delvin and say, ha ha, I have one. You don't, but we'll move on to most improved player. Last year's was Dawson Knox and, uh, had heck of a season last year to step up. Most improved player nominees are DeMar Hamlin, Quentin Morris, and Dane Jackson. Yes, just three, because not very many people improve this year for the <laughs> Buffalo Bills. Our award winner is DeMar Hamlin. 91 tackles, 63 of those were solo, a sack and a half, one forced fumble, took over for Hyde when he went down with an injury, six tackles for loss. The guy just stepped up into a role and was playing unbelievable next to Jordan Poyer, and he is part of the reason that the team finished with the record they did, because the team relies so much on the defensive backs, both safeties to play a role where they're playing over the top and they don't allow big plays. Yes. He had a few mishaps with the, the, the route or the the direction to make the tackle that he did. But beyond that, I mean, the guy was what a six round pick last year, and he stepped up to a role and was a part of a top five defensive unit. He was just playing at an unbelievable level. And I think he is by far the most improved player out of, you know, everybody on the team. Yeah,
1: there's not much more I can add to the glowing resume you gave him. But like you said, number three on the entire team in tackles, played 15 games, played absolutely incredibly. And I think what you said about just the the role he was asked to step into is the biggest part of it. I mean, going into the season, if you're Hamlin, you're sitting behind Poyer, you're sitting behind Hyde, who, I mean, both of them have what? We talked about it going into the season, that they were pretty much a picture-perfect duo of health. They've pretty much never missed a game in their entire career, and then Hyde goes out for the entire season. Poyers banged up the entire year, so Hamlin was relied on a lot this season, and he stepped up in a huge way and was didn't really miss a beat with Hyde out. I mean, obviously Hyde is still one of the better safeties in the entire league. So it was obviously gonna be a small step down, but Hamlin stepped up in a huge way. Like you said, six round pick last year and all of a sudden he comes out and is a starting role on a top defense and he just didn't look out of place. I think that's the biggest thing you can say with him and his development is that he looked like he fit right into a top five defense and he played incredible.
0: Well, Damar, your award. Is in the mail. We'll move on to the biggest letdown this year. You don't want this award because apparently track record assumes that you're getting shipped out of town because last year was Zach Moss. The nominees this year are Gabe Davis, Isaiah McKenzie, Dawson Knox, and Gregory Rousseau. I think you're you missing tell.
1: one there. Who am I I missing? I I think you're missing the Buffalo Bills against the Cincinnati Bengals.
0: That's fair. If you want to put that in (laughs) Ah, there as well. (laughs) (laughs) The award goes to a guy that I said should have stepped up last year. He was the, uh, we need more out of you. The BSC challenge. I had Gabe Davis and uh, it goes to Gabe Davis this year for biggest letdown. Uh, He had 93 targets but 48 receptions that can't happen. And the majority of those were drops. They're not bad off the, you know, out of nowhere, bad throws by Josh Allen. They were drops 839 or 836 yards, seven touchdowns. Yes, the the yards and the touchdowns are great, but the receptions from a wide receiver too are not what you needed to. He had the targets to do it. He should have been up in the 70s, 75 receptions for this team And this offense would look completely different if he was able to step it up. But Phil, I know you got a little bit of conflicting reports for the award winner. And if you want to give it to somebody else, uh, feel free.
1: Yeah, and I don't know if it's necessarily this player's fault that I have him here, but he's one of our, our hometown BSC podcast favorites. And that's Isaiah McKenzie. This year, he had about 30 more targets than he did last season, or pretty much his career high, and he ended up with 42 receptions for 423 yards. He had the highest average per catch he's had. He had almost his career best in touchdowns in a season with four, so nothing terrible. But the big thing with us and kind of just the role that we thought he was going to fit in, he was healthy most of the season. And the big thing we wanted from him was being that true slot receiver, someone taking over that Cole Beasley role, and lo and behold, Cole Beasley ends up coming back. But Beasley, in his last full year, when he was kind of having a rough second half, but his last full year as a Buffalo Bill in 2021, he had 82 receptions and 112 targets for 693 yards. I think we were just hoping as a podcast and even as a just Bill's offense that they would allow McKenzie to slot into that role a little bit more. I mean, 112 targets compared to 65 targets, just a a little bit off there as far as your possible starting slot receiver goes, especially when Crowder went down. I mean, early in the season, it looked like those two were going to battle it out and possibly take targets away from each other. But once Crowder was out, nobody really stepped into that slot role at all this entire year. And you could tell the offense was hurting from it. But I think and again, I don't know if it's necessarily the players faults, but I think we just expected or were hoping McKenzie to take that a bigger leap this leap forward this year. I mean, he did have an OK season as far as he goes. I mean, he had a more productive role in the offense than we've ever seen before, but it's not the leap that we were hoping he was going to take.
0: Yeah, I think that you summed it up perfectly. I have nothing else to add to that. We were hoping for more and got let down. So th- that's that's the uh, the key to the award here. But uh, Gabe Davis, Isaiah McKenzie, your awards are in the mail. Congratulations! Best off-season signing slash late addition to the team, and uh, this is a new one this year. So there's no award winner last from last year, and uh, the nominees here. Daquan Jones, Cole Beasley, Dean Marlowe, Naheem Hines. Phil, the award winner here is Daquan Jones. I think you saw his absence hugely in the Cincinnati game where Cincinnati was just able to do whatever they wanted in the run game against Buffalo. Joe Mixon, who was not a great running back for this team. They didn't use him as the great running back that he should be for this team. I know because I had him in fantasy, even though I still won the championship. Ha ha. But I, I, I think... His signing, which I'm so happy he's still on the team this coming year where he signed a two-year deal, 38 tackles, two sacks, three tackles for loss, one forced fumble. I think he played that Harrison Phillips role perfectly, but took it a step further. And I I think he was a guy that could just collapse the middle. You weren't going to run when he was on the field. And I think having him on the defensive line, I think you saw what it was like without him in that playoff game versus Cincinnati. Yeah, I think you summed it up perfectly. I mean, those
1: middle defensive linemen are just not going to get the stats that some of the other players do as long as the flashy numbers. But you could tell, I mean, that like you said, that Cincinnati game absolutely proves what he means to this team and just the difference in the run game that he made. I mean, again, those players are there to kind of clog the holes, get tackles and sacks if they can. But for the most part, they're there just to jam that up you know, screw over the offensive line, allow your defensive ends to get in and attack the quarterback and just really stop the run game. And you could, like you said, you could absolutely feel that his presence was missed. So also like you mentioned, really good to see that he will be back next
0: year as well. So Phil, well, congrats to Jones. Uh your trophy is in the mail we'll move on to the moment of the year there are three nominees last year's award winner was the new england playoff game where they just you know pushed new england's face in the snow they were playing in and it just ran up the it score and it was glorious <laughs> but the award or the nominees this year are beating the rams in week one on thursday night football to kick off the season they just you know went to town on the defending champions Hines two kickoff return touchdowns in their game back versus New England when uh, fresh off the DeMar Hamlin incident that happened on the field the prior week and just six days beforehand. And then the game-winning field goal versus Miami, Phil, the award winner, I think this is a very obvious one, Hines two kickoff return touchdowns, just you start the game wondering how this team's going to perform and naheem hein just runs it back for a touchdown you couldn't i think we said it on the show you can't script a movie scene or a tv series any better than what just happened in that and i think that's a moment that we will remember forever
1: yeah i mean there, there's <laughs> no other way to start that game i mean if, like i don't know I, I, it's hard to put into words that i mean if if he doesn't do that the bills come out i mean say the bills come out and punt that first drive they they go three and out and the offense isn't looking good you're like oh man that you know it must be really getting to them but all of a sudden you come out you have that like you just mentioned storybook writing kickoff return for a touchdown to start the game i mean one that hasn't happened for the bills in a long time and not only to get one but to get two and end up being pretty much the reason they won that game the offense just didn't look great that game against a tough new england defense so to put up 14 points from special teams from heinz in that type of game and especially again that first one right off the bat i mean it was just an incredible thing to watch and something like you said will absolutely be remembered more than anything else this season most likely
0: so we gotta send it to somebody and uh obviously it's going to heinz so heinz your trophy's in the mail we'll move on to our final one and then we'll end the show i know we went a little bit longer but it's the final time we're gonna be talking about the bills 2022 season so why not go a little bit long bsc challenge this is one where you can take it in many different ways. It's somebody, the, the best way to explain it is somebody that you need to step up next year, somebody that you need to see more from. Last year's award winner, like I said earlier, Gabe Davis. We, it, it didn't work. So hopefully it's going to work here. Nominees: James Cook, Gabe Davis, Khalil Shakir, Khalil Shakir I apologize. I, I butchered that name even though I shouldn't because I've heard it before. And then Ken Dorsey. Phil, the award winner goes to Ken Dorsey. Uh, yeah, we need more out of you, buddy. Uh, be more creative. Go into the lab now that you have a full offseason as the OC. We all know you're coming back. Brandon Bean all but confirmed it. You're not going to Carolina because Frank Wright got that job. You're going to be back for year two, hopefully in this system, hopefully with the players you know. We got a ton of speed on the team now. You got some speed. That's what you were looking for. You moved from being 32nd. In yards after catch to 31st. So congrats, you did a little bit better. But we need more creativity. Call Brian Dable. Maybe he'll send you some plays. But we need more from you to be a... Your offense didn't struggle whatsoever. But you have Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs. So it's very going to be very tough to struggle on offense when you have those two players. But there were times where this team and this offense just looked out of sync in the Cincinnati Bengals game. in the playoffs was a like prime example of that.
1: And I I know we talked about it off podcast together before and just Andy Reid is is a different kind of coach. And uh you know, you're not gonna get one of him because he's uh in a league of his own. But the fact that Casey was able to find a way to get Patrick Mahomes even more pass yards this year than he ever has, and you didn't have Tyreek Hill, and instead you had Kelsey and a bunch of kind of ragtag thrown together players. And yet they were able to find a way to have just an incredible offense. It's all about scheming. It's all about, I know Mahomes is Mahomes, and he is also quite incredible. But at the same time, it's a lot of coaching. It's a lot of play calling. It's a lot of drawing things up. It's a lot of movement. I mean, they do ridiculous things that we see. I mean, that weird, you know, circle huddle coming out of the huddle and then score a touchdown got called back on a penalty. They just do very strange things, but they find players wide open. I mean, Kelsey in one of the biggest games of the year, ends up getting 14 plus catches and they scheme ways to just find him wide open when the defense has one player to watch and yet they can't watch him because of the amount of movement that KC has. We need something more like that from Ken Dorsey next year, instead of just, you know, Hail Mary's down the field to Gabe Davis and Stefan Diggs and kind of hoping it works. We need just more Interesting play calling. I mean, we've called it out the entire season and end up coming back to bite them in those last two playoff games, where in the first two games, they played very short, took their time, went down the field methodically, played quick, played a lot of short passes. and that's exactly what Kansas City does. And yet they completely abandoned that the rest of the season, and the Bill's offense took a hit the rest of the year other than, like you said, Josh Allen finding ways to make magic outside of that, the offense looked a little bit in disarray. So we need, Dorsey with a full offseason to hopefully come up with a new playbook and some more interesting plays out there.
0: Well, congratulations, Ken Dorsey, your step it up challenge trophy. Is use it a as mouse. motivation. <laughs> use it as motivation. You can look at it daily, put it in you know a spot where you can see it daily and uh, use it as, uh, like Phil said, motivation. But Phil, we went a bit long on this one, but is there anything else you want to add to the show before we shut it down?
1: No, I think uh, it's running long and we have a, a fun... Two games set with the Buffalo Bandits. Hopefully the Sabres continue to roll. But I'm, I'm excited for the big weekend for the Bandits. It should be one that we're, we're hoping they take both. And they, they have every right and ability to take both. But can they take both? We will find out very soon.
0: Yeah, and we will talk about both those games versus the wing wings and the riptide on monday we got the two sabers games currently one or zero zero after the first period for the sabers versus the jets and then they face the wild on saturday and then they got one game and then they go on a nice little break so phil we got a we got some fillers coming up soon because i know this show went very long but uh pretty soon it'll be like much shorter shows because there's no bills Butts are on break right now and Sabres are about to go on a break, but on our next show, like I said, we'll cover all those games. So thank you all for listening to another episode of the Buffalo Sports Collective. Follow along with us on Facebook and Instagram at Buffalo Sports Collective and on Twitter at Buffalo Sports Co. Visit our website at Collective.com, Subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you leave us a review on Apple and Spotify. Until next time, bye bye